What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. And Daryl. On today's show, we're digging deeper into Metropolis and Gotham, asking about would these cities be the same without their heroes? How would they be different if they uh, had different villains? All, all kinds of things we're asking about Metropolis and Gotham, digging really deep into these two cities. That's right. And joining us is an expert in those kinds of worlds. It is Eric Malinsky of the Imaginary Worlds podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that we love a lot, and we had a great time talking with Eric, and he has a whole lot to say about this subject. Yeah. It's so fun to podcast with people that you actually listen to, like we have with the Empire yeah. crew and Scott Nicewander on his YouTube channel. It's just really fun. So really a pleasure to have Eric on the show. We'd also love to hear your thoughts about Metropolis and Gotham, which you can share with us over at thestorygeeks.com. It's also where you can find all of our other content, more than 120 past podcasts, blog posts from Ashley and Anthony. I can't wait to read theirs about this topic. And for those who support the show on Patreon, we have all of our premium content on there as well, including the Story Geeks Aftercast. Yeah, and we do hope you support the show because on today's Aftercast, which we're going to record right after we finish this podcast, we're going to talk with Eric even more about other cities. We're going to go beyond Gotham and Metropolis, and we're going to touch on more cities from comic books, from films, video games, all kinds of stuff. Don't miss out on that. For more information and more great content, including today's Aftercast, like we just talked about, head on over to thestorygeeks.com. Daryl, what's coming up next week? Well, speaking of Metropolis... Next week, we are going to dig deep into Superman, the movie, the classic from 1978, mm. um, in honor of its 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary. So that's exciting. And then the week after that, we're going to go back to Gotham. So we have we got a whole thing going here. Yeah. But that one's going to be maybe a little bit more negative because we're going to try and make Batman and Robin, Batman and Robin better. Yeah, I can't wait. And joining us for that episode is going to be Jason Sapp from the Geek Universe Facebook group. That's super cool. Well, thank you guys for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Metropolis and Gotham. Uh, well, Eric, welcome to the show. I, I have to say, I have been a longtime listener of Imaginary Worlds, and it, we Daryl and I have got a chance to talk to a lot of our favorite podcasters, and today is another one of those milestones because I get to talk to Eric Malinsky today. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you. No, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about your show and what you guys what you guys do over at Imaginary Worlds. Sure. So uh, I, so I'm, you know, I've been a public radio producer, reporter in New York for oh, God, like 15 years now, almost. And uh, so, like, that's my background. And uh, you know, I always kind of wanted to have my own podcast, and I was trying to figure out what it would be about and how it'd be any different than the sort of arts and culture stuff I was doing for WNYC. Uh, but I'm also a huge geek, and uh, I used to work in animation, and I just suddenly. Um, one day I decided to make a list of everything I would have ever wanted to get on public radio that no one would ever put on. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like what is, like what makes for a good evil plan or like what exactly is the role of the love interest in a superhero story? Like all sorts of stuff. And I, I, I think I came up with about like 15 episodes, of that one thing. That's when I realized I had an, I had a podcast. So, so it sounds like public radio in the sense that like I'll interview a bunch of people and I'll cut up the tape and I narrate around it. Uh, but I definitely try to make it very personal. I always say that my show, even though it's called Imaginary World, it's really about people. I mean, it's about like the people that come up with them. It's about us, like why we believe these these places are real. Um, comes out every other week. As episodes started being like 12, 13 minutes. Now I can barely get one below half an hour um, as the show has gotten more ambitious. <laughs> um, and yeah, I have assistant producer now too, Stephanie Billman, who's great. And uh, so yeah, the show's, uh, the show's humming along now, four years. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a, nice. it's a, if you're a geek and you're interested at all in like setting of like sci-fi, fantasy, comic book stuff, like it is definitely a must listen. It is a fantastically produced show. Thanks. Very, very cool. So glad to have you on the show. Daryl, what are we talking about today? Today we are going to talk about, I guess, the, the two most high profile comic book locations there are, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about Gotham City and Metropolis. Yes. And the differences between them and how they interact with their heroes. So I'm excited for this because I've been living vicariously in Gotham and Metropolis pretty much my whole life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited too because, I mean, I'm a, you know, I've talked on the podcast how I'm a huge Batman fan. Like he is, that's the one, I mean, I I feel like I'm kind of a tourist in a lot of these worlds and I get to kind of know them better throughout. Like I did the three part episode series on Doctor Who and I never watched a single episode before I did that. Um, But Gotham. Batman, that's my thing. You know, <laughs> like that's the world that I just completely, I can never ever get enough about. Um, and then also like growing up in Boston, and now living in New York, there's this such a weird rivalry between those two cities. But at the same time, like having lived in L.A. and then my wife's from San Francisco. I mean, these are four cities that I think about all the time because they have they're so distinctive and they are all kind of rivals in different kinds of ways. You know, I mean, LA and San Francisco have that kind of rivalry, but then there's like a, you know, then if you look at tech, then there's a San Francisco, New York rivalry. If you look at sports, there's a Boston, New York rivalry. So it's a subject that I'm always fascinated by, especially when we come back home to visit our families. We're always very aware of how different things are in the other places. Yeah. And I'm right there with you on Batman. I've, I'm a diehard Batman fan as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is there another city like Gotham? I mean, is there anything in the in the world in in America that is as bad as Gotham? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Maybe parts of cities. I mean, because Metropolis certainly reminds you of New York, you know, and the, mm-hmm. like the big skyscrapers, Chicago maybe, but yeah, Gotham. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are times in New York's history where it's felt like Gotham. I mean, I think probably the '70s was the closest it, it felt like Gotham. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's true. If you yeah, if you hearken back to the days, even even if you take like Chicago during the Al Capone years, I mean that feels pretty oh yeah pretty sure. intense, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although when I interviewed Scott Snyder, he talked about growing up. I mean, he grew up in Manhattan in the early '80s, and you know where you were just like, I'd like to go to Times Square, but I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, to him, especially the Frank Miller Batman was so drawing on that realness. So that that to him, I remember felt very real. Yeah. That was a great interview, too. I really enjoyed hearing from him. Yeah, that was cool. Well, before we go to Gotham and Metropolis specifically here, I do want to talk about um, just locations and settings in superhero storytelling just as a concept. Yeah. Because, yeah, Batman has Gotham, Superman has Metropolis, Flash, Central City, Daredevil has Hell's Kitchen, so on and so forth. Um, Some of these are fictional. Some of them are not. So I'm just curious, how do we think a dedicated location impacts a hero's story. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have two minds in terms of, I always, I appreciate the way the Marvel characters uh, live in the real world and what that brings to it. However, they the, the fact that New York becomes the default, and as, as somebody who lives in New York, I appreciate when the New York is very New York-y, like Daredevil and Spider-Man. But when it's sort of like the Fantastic Four, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. They live in New York. Uh, I mean, you know, like I, I kind of appreciate when they're when 
you know, like if Marvel's going to do that, I, I sort of wish those heroes were spread out a bit more. And there really were heroes that we totally associate with L.A., San Francisco, Boston, whatever, or Chicago. Mm -hmm. I know there's some West Coast Avengers, but um, that's one thing I really like about D.C. But at the same time, I know people that, that don't like that, that, you know, they're um, it, it takes them too far out of reality. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think so. I think this is a fantastic question to begin to start us off, Daryl. I think that if stories are intended to help us as human beings understand and interpret the world around us, like I think that that's what stories basically do, then part of understanding and interpreting the world is viewing the world through a societal lens. So I think each character, particularly these you know, comic book hero characters, they need a location where the societal structure plays a role in the hero's story. Um, and since stories are built off conflict, the promise of impending conflict or maybe the environment itself um, providing the means to facilitate and ramp up that conflict is really important. And you have the society, the values of that society um, and the, the individual hero's values that will be either challenged or tested. Um, so I think the question really becomes for the locations that we're going to talk about today, especially how does the setting force the conflict in the first place or how does it le at least ramp it up? Um, and that's the power of location, uh, setting, environment. It's not only the impact it has to the hero, but all of the other characters and their individual arcs as it pertains to the overarching story. Um, I, I think a really good example of that is you have Batman and Gotham and just take, for example, um, Batman begins where Scarecrow is releasing his toxin in the narrows. And during that whole scene, you have what Batman is doing. You have what all of the criminals are doing, but then Christopher Nolan does this really amazing thing where he shows us a kid reacting in the in the midst of that chaos and having being subject to the fear toxin but then having all of this chaos going on around him and i think that that's what putting normal people inside these locations can do for us is it as we understand and interpret the world around us we can do through do so through the different eyes of characters that are in those locations yeah and the, those locations are so impactful to them so yeah, I just want to add too to that. Um, like, as when you, in, in terms of writing, people always say, you know, be specific. I mean, specificity is really, really important. And again, like just going back to Daredevil or Spider Man, they don't just live in New York. You know, Hell's Kitchen and Queens are incredibly important, you know. And, and once you get that specific into that particular neighborhood, or even like the idea of the when Batgirl went to Burnside, which is obviously supposed to just Brooklyn, but still, I mean, the idea that, that suddenly there's this neighborhood called Burnside, you know, and, um, and that, that in, in, in Gotham, that that became kind of her area. Um, I think that also just helps. Because once you get that specific, you just start asking questions to yourself, you know, about this particular area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the that's another important like the idea of well, what is the narrows, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've seen that. I love the way the narrows is, is now popping up in comics and other aspects. It's sort of like you know, everyone gets to throw in their ideas of what they think Gotham and Metropolis are, but it's always a good sign when another writer in another medium is just like, yeah, I, let's let's make that canon. Yeah, yeah totally. I'm still waiting for the comics to um, do a representation of Zack Snyder's idea that Gotham and Metropolis are just across the harbor from each other. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen that in comics yet. <laughs> yeah. It may never happen. You know, Eric, as you talked about the location 
um, becoming realized and being very specific. It, that actually made me think of, I haven't seen season two, but season one of Luke Cage, I've never been to Harlem, um, but I just got a sense for like, whether or not this is real or just a really good interpretation of what's going on in this city and what matters to these people, uh, from a cultural standpoint, it was done beautifully from a, from music to just the vibe of the people walking around to style to locations. It was just, that was phenomenal. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of it's kind of sit like the whole idea of cotton mouth and the power of cotton mouth in the nightclub is a little, it's almost a little more like a 1930s kind of villain. But I mean, I know like we have a friend who's grew up in Harlem and still lives there and she loves that show, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I feel like, you know, to, to her, it, it definitely has that sense. Um, and I like the fact that they actually talked a lot about gentrification and the new Harlem and what that means. Because, I mean, the thing that bugs me about Daredevil, as much as I loved, well, I love season one of Daredevil. Season two is terrible. but um, And I heard season three is great. I have not watched it yet. But, um, you know, Hell's Kitchen is not the Hell's Kitchen from the 80s. I mean, despite the name Hell's Kitchen, it is now super, super gentrified. Mm. And, I, and they are pretending, I mean, I, I sometimes laugh out loud watching this TV show Daredevil because they have so ignored, uh, you know, the fact that there's no crime in Hell's Kitchen anymore, <laughs> you know, except for like a, you know, getting a bad meal at a super expensive restaurant. Um, and there's like every gang in the world is just like, you know, internationally is in like the, the port of Hell's Kitchen. And they sort of explained it by saying that the, the end of the Avengers has kind of changed the game a bit, but um I like the fact that I thought that Luke Cage at least gave a nod to what's actually happening in Harlem and didn't just say, hey, let's pretend Harlem hasn't changed in 25 years. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys prefer in your storytelling? Do you prefer completely fictionalized locations or do you prefer some representation of a real place? I think it totally depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. It's sort of like one of those things where, you know, I like... I think overall, I generally prefer made-up locations yeah. unless the author is so familiar with the material that um, I even I even so we just started releasing uh, uh, an audiobook of a book that um, my co-founder Nathan and I wrote way back in two thousand eight, and even as I'm listening to to the audiobook as I've recorded it, I'm thinking to myself the places I've actually been to are so much cooler than the places that I'm just made up in my mind, right? <laughs> um, I have them go to Russia. I've never been to Russia. I have no idea what Russia's like, and it's just not as cool because I, I have not experienced that. Whereas Los Alamos National Laboratories, which is what I, what I described in the first chapter, is is really cool because I got a behind-the-scenes tour of that place, which mm -hmm. is super secretive. So it's way more interesting. So I think it just depends on the writer's ability to interpret a place and then bring that place to life. Yeah, yeah. I think it's easier as a writer to take on Gotham and Metropolis, but the minute you said something in New York, you better get it right. I mean, I thought the Spider-Man Homecoming was so good in setting up the vibe of Queens, because um, actually I have a friend who lives in Sunnyside where they filmed that, um, and funny, actually, funny story. His he was excited because like they were literally filming it right outside, and he brought his son out to see it, uh, you know, to see Tom Holland in the costume. And then his son, his son didn't quite understand that Spider-Man wasn't real, and so he kept wanting to see. <laughs> he actually he actually thinks Spider-Man lives there. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, there's like an I mean, there's sort of an uncanny valley problem where if it if it claims to represent a, a city that you know really well and it gets it wrong, it's just like it's worse. 
you know yeah. um it can be so good if they get it right and yet so irritating if they get it wrong that it's just it's easier to to just pick a made-up city yeah it's interesting too to see how how popular new york has become because it used to be like back in the 80s everything was la like all these 80s movies like you'd always see la la it feels always... like so many of marvel's stuff is set in new york yeah yeah um but, yeah but yeah i just i just like when i when i think about la a lot of what they portrayed you're like it's not like that anymore so i don't know it, it's like <laughs> some romanticized version of la that yeah. i don't know if it ever really existed you know yeah it's not that pretty. <laughs> no, <laughs> Hollywood, just... Hollywood Boulevard is not cool. You know. <laughs> yeah, I remember somebody. I live. I lived around Los Feliz, or I used to work, I work around there and hang out there a lot. And in front of, I was t- people were, at the time were asking me what LA was like, and I was like, you know, swingers. Um, imagine that movie, but without Vince Vaughn and nothing interesting happening. That's my life. <laughs> but all those clubs, all those bars, like very similar conversations. Just take them out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's so true. So true. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, let's dive into Gotham and Metropolis here. So just on the, you know, kind of overall as we begin, what, how are they different? How are they similar? How do we identify these two cities? Jay, why don't you start us on that? Oh, there's so many ways that they're different, <laughs> really, right? Yeah. I, I just, I, t- I started making categories and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. economically, Metropolis feels a lot more affluent. Um, they, the residents of Metropolis seem wealthier than Gotham's residents seem. The infrastructure seems like it might be of a similar age, but Metropolis seems to have been managed and maintained far better than Gotham has been maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, Gotham is struggling economically. The civil engineering is, if it's er- if there's ever anything new in Gotham, it seems like it's donated by Thomas or Bruce Wayne, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you have, you got the, the economic differences, the weather differences. <laughs> Metropolis is almost always sunny and nice, and Gotham yeah. is always dreary and rainy, you know? Um, yeah, I think uh, the size and the population is one of the things that I felt like seemed actually more similar. They seem like they're about the same population. Maybe Metropolis is maybe a little bit bigger, mm. but um, similar. They're big cities, obviously, with over a million people in them. Um the government seems very different. Uh, I think I'm gonna. We'll get into this a little bit more later. But like, Metropolis seems more. If it's gonna get into trouble, it's because of the people who are trying to um, manipulate capitalism, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it's almost like there's a baseline layer of affluence, but then they're what they're doing is actually turning into greed. Whereas Gotham, it seems like it's just super corrupt. You've got people that are just taking advantage of all of the, all of sort of the scarcity that exists in Gotham. Right. And then of course we know the crime is way different too. Gotham's crime is seems way worse than Metropolis's crime. So I think they're pretty different cities overall. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Eric? Yeah. It's funny you're talking about um, capitalism too. Cause I was thinking about how Gotham is like one of those poor cities where, um, the city infrastructure and the city government and the bureaucracy is everything you know it's kind of like a a super amped up version of the wire to some extent Mm -hmm. um and metropolis is a very very capitalist city in that sense that it's just yeah it's just probably minting money um and that i think it makes sense that lex luther would be the the main villain in metropolis 
because um, I think the villains also reflect the city in that sense. You know, he's like the 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 power broker, the guy who builds the skyscrapers and does all this stuff. And the idea that there's some kind of corruption behind that is the thing that you know in this gleaming city of the future. I think is it makes sense as opposed to Gotham, where it's just the uh, the ins- <laughs> the insanity of its own people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and desperation and. Um, yeah, and and they use the corruption uh, and the bureaucracy to get what they want. You know, it's the mm-hmm. idea of the the Joker compromising, or the idea of yeah, who's compromised? And Gordon is is incorrupt as incorruptible as as Batman. That's what makes them you know so unique. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting way. Like I don't remember ever anyone mentioning a mayor of Metropolis. I mean, I'm sure it's there. It's in canon, and they've been probably mentioned before. But it's just not. You know, the real power broker is somebody like Lex Luthor or whoever he's mm. competing against. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that always stood out to me is bad things happen in Gotham, and bad things happen to Metropolis. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, Gotham breeds villains. Like, it's (laughs) just, and it's like Batman and Jim Gordon are like the shining people fighting this good fight in this terrible place. Yeah. And it almost seems like Metropolis was probably fine before Superman showed up. And now that Superman's (laughs) there, all of these aliens and all this big stuff constantly attack it because that's what you usually see him defending. He he, he, He does small crime and stuff too, but. Yeah, you know it's Superman, so you're gonna have him fight, right? Your, you know your big monsters and your aliens and your giant supervillains <laughs> right. and things. Yeah, that's but, so true. And yeah, nobody ever brings that up. They all they're always giving Batman so much shit about the fact that they think <laughs> that he creates these villains, and yeah. nobody mentions it. it's much more true of Superman. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're a giant target. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. But you mentioned Lex Luthor, and I think it's interesting that I think Lex Luthor pretty much is the the Waynes of Metropolis, right? Mm-hmm. He's more corrupt yeah in most iterations of him he's actually been heroic sometimes too but for the most part he's the villain and so it's interesting to see that in a nice bright optimistic city the richest guy is the villain yeah and in the grimiest crappiest most disillusioned city the richest guy is like the most the the hero yeah it's true Mm -hmm. that intrigues me Hmm. yeah i have always like Lois Lane has always fascinated me, and I, I, it frustrates me how often they just treat her as a love interest. And I've talked about this in the podcast too, about like, and certainly as a reporter, I think it's just fascinating that you know this is this badass reporter who also happens to be secretly dating Superman, um, at least in the newer versions. But um, like, I, I always wish there's the equivalent of Gotham Central, but just for the Daily Planet. Like, I, like to me, that seems super interesting. Like, what would be their perspective on things? I mean, not sort of a dumb, yeah. You know, your pal Jimmy Olsen kind of stuff, but you know, like, what would it be like? Um, uh, you know, what would it really be like to have like the Washington Post? You know, mm-hmm. this report, this badass Pulitzer Prize-winning, you know, reporter for the Washington Post, secretly dating <laughs> dating this superhero. I think that's a, I think it's a really it's, and I feel like Margot Kidder's uh, Lois Lane and a little bit of Terry Hatchet was just the ha- Terry Hatcher was like the closest we ever got to really exploring that. Mm. Dude, I think Tom King just needs to write that right now. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect <laughs> yeah. for him, right? That's a very human angle on yeah. a yeah. superhero story. Like, he'd be perfect for that. Yeah. Well, have Eric, you read you any up... of, uh, sorry, real quick. Have you read any of Brian Michael Bendis' run on the Superman comics yet? You know, I have not. How is it? It's really good. And actually, he's doing a super interesting thing with Lois because now, you know, Lois and Clark are married 
mm-hmm. they actually have a son too named Jonathan, mm-hmm. who is Superboy. And there's this whole thing where Jor-El, who's apparently not dead anymore, mm-hmm. he showed up and wanted to take Jonathan away and take him away from Earth and take him out into space and sort of help him learn who he is. Mm-hmm. But Superman's like, no, no, you're not taking our son. There's no way you're doing that. But Lois stepped up and said, he's never going to stop. He's going to keep coming after us. So just let me go Mm. and I will go with him and I will take Jonathan. And so there's this whole thing in the comics now where Superman is doing his thing and he doesn't know where Lois is. She's off with Jonathan and Jor-El somewhere exploring the universe. And Mm. it's a super interesting angle to take on her, I think. That's interesting. Yeah. How is that? Is that affecting him psychologically? Yeah. Yeah, because he's, you know, he's out there. He's also fighting. They've also revealed that there's a villain who originally destroyed Krypton. It wasn't a natural occurrence. Oh, it was actually the villain, and he's fighting that villain. So his whole world's turning upside down. Wow, Michael. Wow, he is. He was definitely worth his weight in whatever they paid him to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring him over from Marvel. Yeah. Well, they got to go big, you know. Yeah, those are great ideas. Um, why does Metropolis need Superman? What do you think, Eric? I think Metropolis is a very aspirational city. You know, I just I keep thinking of the image of him flying up with his fist in the air, and then those skyscrapers like aiming at the aiming at the sky. Um, I feel like he reflects the city's sense of trying to be the best it can possibly be, be the shining beacon that it's like. I feel like he he reflects uh, Gotham's yeah Gotham sort of I mean Gotham uh, re- reflects Metropolis's sort of sense of sense of aspiration to some extent when i when i thought about this question uh i think metropolis needs innocence and an empathetic human rooted perspective so what i find so fascinating so why not an alien well yeah that's, well, that's what i find so fascinating about it because siegel and and shuster when they created superman they had this concept of truth justice in the american way which is so fascinating because uh, Metropolis feels like a pretty decent, like large American city. Like it yeah. feels that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have this perception that Metropolis, as a pillar of capitalism, um, masks the darker underbelly of greed, which is capitalism's biggest flaw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then one that the villain of that city exploits, because yeah. that's what Lex Luthor exploits and to, to, to do what he's going to do. And Metropolis needs someone raised who's been raised in a far simpler rural place. Uh, money wouldn't save the day in Kansas, right? Like money's not going to save anything. You need mm-hmm. people. People need to do that. Um, and so I think that that in family would do that too. And he gets he gets that in um, in his upbringing. So you've got this giant city, impressive in all its capitalistic glory. And you need this super strong, invincible, godlike being who happens to be super compassionate, right? Yeah. Um, You're saying in a way it gives the city its soul. It yeah, it got exactly. It gives the city its soul. Um, he Superman could be a billionaire, but he would not be tempted by that power, and that's why Metropolis needs him. Um, they need someone who possesses power but has an immense amounts of empathy and a strong moral compass. And what I think about that that's so great about what they did with this story and the setup of the story is that 
This is a comic that came out in 1938. They said that Superman is for truth, justice, and the American way, and that it was exemplified by a humble immigrant who doesn't care about money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the setup. And that's amazing. <laughs> so that's really cool. And then the contrast that plays against the 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 he's not fighting capitalism he but he's he's fighting the ugly sides of capitalism and i think mm -hmm. that that's really cool too it's just such a good setup hmm. yeah i like it and i feel like it works in metropolis that he's an outsider like and i'll i'll have the antithesis of that when we get to when we're talking about gotham but i feel like metropolis is very welcoming to this strange visitor coming in and providing this inspiration for them, hmm. which I, I think that's also sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I said that, I think that's why so many people also love the '78 film. I mean, even though it feels now slow as molasses, um, the uh, the idea of him. I, I feel like a lot of people have been wondering, like Superman feels sort of corny and old fashioned in 1978. Um, you know, post Vietnam, post Watergate. You know, how are we going to how are we going to make that work? And I feel like that became the real crux of that movie was that he is like a guy right out of like a um like a frank capra movie you know mm -hmm. who who shows up and and uh you know one of my, my favorite line in that movie is when lois asks him what he stands for and he says truth justice the american way and she's like you're gonna have to go after everybody in congress then and, he's just, <laughs> and, 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 and he looks at her really concerned he's like you don't really believe that do you lois <laughs> and then she looks at him like holy shit you're for real <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that that to me is the version that I think did the best job of really illustrating what Superman Superman bringing those qualities to Metropolis. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So why does Gotham need Batman? Mm. Why don't you start on that one, Jay? I mean, I think that obviously Gotham's corruption and crime, it just needs to be addressed. And it's not going to be addressed unless somebody goes, I'm going to put on armor and like get my hands dirty because this yeah. place is a giant disaster. Um I think that with Metropolis, there's this sense of abundance like I've talked about, and the temptation is to try and and take as much of that abundance as possible and like ramp it up. So the threat in Metropolis is valuing wealth over people or power over people. Um, Gotham, though, feels like there's the opposite of abundance. It feels like scarcity rules, mm -hmm. right? There's not a lot to go around is kind of what it feels like. And the threat of scarcity actually brings desperate people who want to prey on what little's left. Mm. And so organized crime is a huge problem. Corruption is rampant in local government and in the police force, which you would hope would be, you know, good. Um, and so there's a sense that in Gotham, you'd have to be as wealthy as Thomas or Bruce in order to escape that oppression. Right. Like yeah. if you didn't have their level of wealth, it's like, how would I ever do anything here? Um, even the regular people, just white collar, blue collar people, they're all they're all working amongst that corruption and that impending danger at every turn. Right. Um, and I think that that's that's a uh, pretty, pretty big deal. The conflict in Metropolis with Superman is can this alien represent us? Do we trust him? Again, it's brilliant given that our country is built in the back of, backs of immigrants. And so it's kind of like, do these people who are now affluent, will they trust this immigrant alien to defend us? Or is this immigrant alien hostile and we need to do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a sense that we'll accept them when there's a worse immigrant, or I should say a worse 
uh, oppressive force coming at us. We'll yeah. accept him. But otherwise, Which is often an invader from from somewhere else. Even you know exactly right. their exactly. worst fears of the uh, the alien. Yep, exactly. It's exactly true. It's like oh, okay, well we prefer Superman to that one. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so, but with Gotham, it's more about is Batman actually corrupt too? Is he just another version of this organized crime that we see? Um, he wears a mask, he's rich, so he's unlike most of the other people that he's trying to help. Uh, and then I think that that automatically ha- sows the seeds of, of distrust. And I think the question with Batman, and we, were, we talked a little bit about this on our anti-heroes episode, is, is he doing what he's doing out of a sense of empathy and a sense of right and wrong? Or is it more about revenge for what happened to his parents? Yeah. And that's the quintessential question that we're going to look at when we look at Batman, I think. So... Um, I think Batman needs Gotham because Gotham is so dark. It needs someone who's willing to say, I'm going to fight for justice, but this may get dirtier than I want it to. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I, I agree with all that. It's funny though. Cause I mean, the Gotham, all versions of Batman and Gotham, certainly probably since dark Knight returns have been so self-aware of that mm-hmm. and been ex- exploring those questions like within the show or the T or the comics or the movies themselves that, um, I almost feel like I, I not only do I do I not have much else to add to it, I feel like I just I wouldn't be able to help but quote the movies, you know, or, <laughs> <laughs> because they literally talk about it so much. Um, so, um, yeah, so I don't uh, I don't know much more to to add to that. Um, Do you think that that helps or hurts though? That that all of that self realization and that. Oh, I think it helps. I, I I think it's important. Um, I think it's important because those are all unanswered questions. Mm. You know, um, it's uh, you know, I mean, I think Batman is still wrestling in his own soul with why exactly is he doing this. So yeah, I think it I think it definitely it definitely helps. Yeah, I think the only other thing I would add is just. You know, as I said before, that it seems like Metropolis is fine with an outsider coming in and helping solve their problems. Right, right. I don't think Gotham would be, to be honest. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, the majority of citizens are not aware that Batman has such a history in Gotham other right. than just being Batman. But I don't know. I feel like as bad as Gotham is, there might be some people there that are kind of like, somebody come save us. But for the most part, I'm guessing it would be more like, this is a shithole, but it's our shithole. <laughs> right, right. You know right, what right. I mean? Yeah. And exactly. you're not going to come in when you haven't lived in this fight and yeah, try and right. make a difference. We don't trust you. That's a good you point. You know what I mean? So yeah. I kind of feel like Batman has that cred, even though people don't know the history of the Wayne family and how deep into Gotham's roots it goes. Right. You know, one thing is, uh, that bugs me too in, in more recent versions of batman the tell i love the telltale games uh they were amazing but um the more high-tech batman becomes and the more the the way that they've made it clear that the only wealthy power player in this entire city is bruce wayne and wayne enterprises it i feel like his secret identity seems as obvious as clark Kent taking <laughs> off his glasses yeah. who the hell else could afford to do all this <laughs> nobody <That's> so true <laughs> yeah. it's like and especially like yeah when he gets uh, you know when, when he's uh, yeah it's one thing when he's just got like a hot rod and a grappling hook but when he's got like a billion dollar worth of military grade equipment <laughs> it's so true and the fact that you can line up 
all of the Robins with all of his wards and oh, his sons. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. well, I know. Oh, Bruce Wayne is now hanging out with two teenage boys, and there's two Robins. Oh. <laughs> I, could possibly, I can't possibly draw that I made that there, sound yeah. real creepy. Sound That's creepy, not what yeah. I meant. It did sound creepy. What do you guys think, if Batman and Superman succeeded as heroes to the point where they were no longer needed in their respective cities, how do you think those cities would look different? I know that's kind of a way out there question, but it intrigues yeah. me. What do you think, Eric? Well, you'd have a Gotham. I mean, they sort of play with that a little bit in The Dark Knight Rises, but um, I guess you'd have a Gotham that was that was finally functioning. I mean, a, a, a Gotham that... Um, you know, I guess it's a it's a Gotham that works, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's I, I I still and and I feel like Metropolis. I guess if if Superman succeeded in Metropolis, um, I guess you know again it's I feel like they can never succeed because I mean there's just something so human about the greed of Lex Luthor or the desperation and insanity of, of so many of the, and, and corruptibility of, of so many of the people in Gotham that I feel like they can never, it's, it's impossible because you're imagining a kind of utopia that, um, that takes out uh, human flaws. Um, I think the best you could hope for is that the system would keep it in check. Um, but systems change. And, um, you know, if they, somebody else would eventually come you know come to the the forefront in a comic book world to uh to answer those questions you know that the city is always is always grappling with yeah there's this, there's i think there's a sense i i pretty much have a very similar answer the only thing about gotham that i wonder about as it has how it would look if the um where they were succeeded right? the, the 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 superheroes succeeded in their role I think that the only thing I'd ask of Gotham is what natural resource does it have that it could be sustainable on its own? Because there seems like there's so much scarcity that even if you took out all of the crime and took out, it seems like there could be, it could just devolve right back into it pretty quickly. Um, so that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, weirdly enough, the thing that would fix Gotham is gentrification. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the truth is, uh, I mean, if you want to look at, if, if, you know, we're talking about early eighties uh, Manhattan, and look at Manhattan now. I mean, it 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 turns into a metropolis. Is what happens. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I feel like for these cities to truly get to a point where they don't need their heroes anymore. Yeah. I feel like it looks very different. So go with me on this. Okay. In Metropolis, I feel like Superman would have to die, and sort of galvanize the optimism and the inspiration that he brings to the city mm. and sort of be a martyr for it mm. to the point where everybody embraces it and carries it on in a way that they protect themselves. Yeah. But they've done that storyline before in different media. So do you feel but like they always it, it bring him back? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely, it's hard cause you're right. They have. And, but you, you get it focused on the actual death. And so the tragedy of the actual death mm. and then they turn around and even if they don't bring him back right away, they replace him. So if you go back to the classic death of Superman, you know, you got the reign of the Superman right after that. Yeah. You had the four different versions of him and then they brought him back. So I don't feel like we ever really have seen 
a representation where Superman dies and the city continues on without him and he never comes back. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, I feel like in Gotham, it's different. I feel like Bruce Wayne would have to give up Batman and help the city as Bruce Wayne instead. Yeah, you've talked about that before. Like, yeah, you like, about using compassion, basically, to yeah. sort of try and heal the city. Which is kind of what they were going for with Dark Knight Rises. You know, he wanted right. he wanted Batman to end so that Harvey Dent could be that hero. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, I thought that also... Um, uh, White Knight had played with a lot of in the comic series uh, oh, played with a lot of White interesting Knight. questions like that too. Yeah, White Knight is so good. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And also, I love the fact White Knight and well, and also the Telltale game uh, both introduced the idea that Thomas Wayne was as corrupt and as violent and as and as bad as as all the other power brokers in Gotham, and that the Wayne money's dirty, which I thought was really really interesting. Yeah. Mm. The only, th- the only other thing I'd add to the Metropolis side of the equation is kind of piggybacking off where Eric was going with it. I think that what Superman and what the villains, especially the kind of the super villains that come from space, yeah. um, what they bring to the table is that they force Metropolis to slow down and consider their value systems. Because it sort of seems like Metropolis is everybody's running the rat race, right? They're... They're not even stopping to consider the people around them. When when Clark has glasses on, it's like instantly like he's unimportant. You know, like we're gonna gloss over Clark. He, he's barely even seen as a person. Yeah, and that's very different. I mean, Gotham's actually like, like at a societal deficit, whereas like Metropolis is basically distracted and materialistic, and that actually seems like it would be harder to overcome or heal in the long run mm-hmm. um whereas it seems like gotham if it did gentrify like you talked about it actually might help it out maybe there's some tech jobs that come into gotham that could really help out <laughs> yeah. um but yeah metropolis its problem it's almost like it, it only has places to go that are down and they really just need to open up to the possibility of living with other people you know that's a really interesting point though about i mean everyone jokes about the Clark going the glasses, no one being able to recognize him. But to find actually an in-world reason for it would be that people in Metropolis, because they're always looking up and that they only think they're, you know, the rich and powerful are what's most important, that that is the thing that makes them admire and even fetishize Superman and completely ignore Clark Kent to the point where they can never imagine they're the same people. That's a super interesting idea that it's actually baked into the value system of that particular city, that they would be blind to that. Um is it that's that's actually a really interesting point yeah um i think also i would just say i think that maybe what would have to happen is superman needs to die and they learn he was clark Kent. yeah exactly mm-hmm. i was gonna say that too mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah and so. just side note speaking to the whole him maintaining his identity as clark kent thing yeah. i don't remember where this came from but i remember reading in either one version of the comics or maybe it was a cartoon or something but it was this whole idea that when superman is as when he's in his Clark Kent guys, he actually vibrates his face oh. so fast that he looks a little bit different. <laughs> he looks different. He's just constantly it's doing such that. Such a quirky answer to that. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, yeah, it must be exhausting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, how do you keep it up? That's hilarious. I don't know. Well, we've talked a lot about villains already, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. 
and talk about villainy in each of these cities because it certainly looks different. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious why why we see the types of villains that we see in each and just our take on that. So, Jay, what do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've talked about it a lot already. I think there's this, there's this sense of greed, Lex Luthor and greed, right? And then the, so the two major villains you see in Metropolis are somebody who's super greedy and trying to take over as much power as possible. And then you also see these, like we talked about, super villains who are coming from other dimensions or from other universes or whatever. Um, but in both cases, I think what's interesting is the problem has to be so big for Metropolis that it that it causes the people of Metropolis to band together when they otherwise would just be pursuing their own individualistic things. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of tying that in. It's kind of tying in the whole theme of what Superman offers and brings to the table. Um, I think the the when you when you relate Metropolis to a city like New York, we've seen real examples of this, right? And I and I've never lived in New York. I've only visited New York, so I, I can't. Eric, you'll have to speak to this more than I could. Mm-hmm. But like when we see something like you know nine eleven happen, and you see the city just like band together in a way yeah. that a giant city like that would, it's almost hard for it to do because there's so many different people, so many different faiths, value systems, ethnicities, demographics, and it takes something big in in order to shake that up to the point where people are willing to go like, hey, we're all people living in the same city. We should probably set aside the fact that you voted for that guy and I voted for this guy, yeah. and we should just come together as a populace. Um, and I think that the same thing sort of exists for Metropolis. I don't know, Eric. What do you think about that, though? Is that no? It's true. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I was actually thinking about the blackouts. I mean, I've heard a lot of people have often said that the part, the, the times they felt most proud to be New Yorkers were during blackouts. Um, There's a big one in 2003, <laughs> and it was just a sense that that's where they felt like everybody just stopped being in the rat race and stopped looking down at their phones or looking down. But they wouldn't be at their phones at that point, but you know, looking <laughs> whatever, just like avoiding eye contact and just competing for this or that and just this incredible sense of community that, you know, people talked about. Um, the other thing, too, about 9-11 is, um, you know, there's something about, uh, you know, the aliens when they attack Metropolis. It's just, you know, that when you create this beautiful, shining jewel of a city, you know, you should not be surprised when people want to get jealous or hate it or attack it. And I think that the Twin Towers, I mean, some people get may find this just weird to just be... be flipping back and forth between Superman and 9-11. But, I mean, just the idea behind it of, you know, these those gigantic towers in terms of, like, look at the incredible power and wealth that is on this island of Manhattan. Mm. You know, like, it's just, there's a pride in those towers, mm. you know, that I feel like made them, um, not that they, obviously, not that, you know, I'm not excusing it, but, I mean, you can you can sort of understand why there was that sense of, uh, of you know, evil, essentially wanting to attack it. Um, and I mean, no one wants to take over Gotham. Like no, no alien aliens don't land and just like, you know, but I, but the real crown jewel for me is Gotham. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> just, <laughs> they, they, could, they, yeah, that just never, unless it's a earth wide invasion. And then they're just like, well, Gotham was 10th on our list and we finally made it here. <laughs> there are more guns. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the price you pay in some in 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 a in kind of a 
terrible way of, of, of having a city like Metropolis is that you and in, you invite those kinds of attacks if, for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Are there does Metropolis have its own villains other than Lex Luthor? Because if you look at Gotham and Gotham has a laundry list of villains, right? All home yeah. Joker, basically. Penguin, Two Face, yeah, yeah like yeah. all over the place. Well, what about Toy Man? Toy Man, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's true. It's not a long list, right? Like most of Superman's yeah. other enemies are otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So and, and yet it's also interesting that that they're not as memorable. I mean that most people yeah. know either you know uh, Bizarro, um, Brainiac, or Lex Luthor. But then you ask people about Batman villains, and they can just list them on and on. Um, and I think that they and and the fact that they haven't used Brainiac or Bizarro that much. I mean it's it always goes back to Lex Luthor. I think because it he you know in a way they probably should have more homegrown villains. Yeah. Yeah, it's it fascinates me because the whole there's also the whole idea of you know like if you look at the Dark Knight trilogy there's the idea of escalation like mm. these crazy villains come about because Batman came about. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering do you guys think that's true in most representations of Gotham and Metropolis like are the villains there because the heroes were there or are the heroes there because the villains were there? Oh, that's a good question. Some chicken and egg scenario. I think it's I think it's both. It starts. I think. It, I think that it starts with the villain. It starts with the villains attacking on, you know, and but I. But yes, I think that once the heroes come about, um, it does inspire um, the villains to get worse and bigger and bolder. Um, but I don't think the villains would not be there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, you look at Gotham the TV show. I mean, it's like all about <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, let's let's go for a weird angle here. Let me see what you guys think of this. What would it be like if they swapped? <laughs> what, what would it be like to see Batman as the hero of Metropolis and Superman as the hero of Gotham? What do you think, Eric? Uh, I think everybody would certainly hate Batman and, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Metropolis. <laughs> they would just hate him. Uh, they would. Um, he would be considered. Yeah, he would be considered an incredible nuisance. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Superman would be I, I think it would be very hard the, the the thing I always think is so interesting about Superman and, and the um, Justice League animated series was I think dug the deepest into this is that there's a part of him that kind of wants to take over there's a part of him that feels like I, I should be just rerunning everything yeah. um, I can do it but he knows that the sort of the, the Nietzschean Superman uh, inside of him is that's the slippery road to, to fascism and I think that if Superman went to to, Metrop- to Gotham, I think he would have a hard time not installing himself as the Red Sun version of Superman, yeah. who is, you know, the, who, I think I think it would be hard to resist his own deep desire for fascism. Hmm, that's really fascinating. Yeah, that's good. I actually th- had very similar notes, by the way, because I had, you know, Metropolis is just going to think that Batman is a total idiot. Right? Yeah. Like, this dude wants to dress up like a bat and fight crime. Like, that dude's a weirdo. So I've got yeah. things to do. So whatever that guy's going to do is what he's going to do. Why is your car black, bro? It's right outside. <laughs> I know, yeah. exactly. Why are you talking in that voice? Like, get yeah. over yourself. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, Batman has to sort of set aside empathy a lot of times to pursue order for the chaotic nature of Gotham. It's like, I got to just do this, right? I've got to fight. I've got to put aside how I'm going to break this guy's leg. And I got to do it because if I don't break his leg, like he's going to come out, he's going to hurt somebody else. Um, so he's kind of puts aside empathy a lot. Um, I think Superman could be great for Gotham, but I honestly feel like Superman's a little bit too dopey for Gotham. And when I say dopey, I don't mean that he's not intelligent. I just mean that he's he trusts people way too much. He's the Boy Scout. Yeah, he's the Boy he's Scout. He's the goody goody. So I have a feeling. Yeah. That... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, no, I'm just remembering every scene in a Justice League comic or TV show where they need to interrogate a villain, and <laughs> Superman. <laughs> and Superman's terrible at it. <laughs> And imagine how like easily manipulated Superman gets by these yeah. Batman villains, right? Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I yeah. promise I'll do a better job. Okay, then I'll see you guys later. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's just it. so it's just yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I think Superman could be good for Gotham because he could take some of the baseline corruption and just and just write it. But obviously, he'd have to become more fascist, like you're saying, Eric, to be able to do that. He'd have to be just like, you guys are so screwed up. I'm just gonna change things right now. You know? Yeah. Um, which ironically he doesn't do in Metropolis, right? He doesn't do that. Um, but well, he doesn't need to. That's the th- you know that's why it's a good fit for him. Exactly, exactly. I would love to see him trying to exercise restraint in Gotham because uh. I love the stories where they actually focus in on Superman having to restrain himself. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the Justice League animated series. One of I think one of the last episodes of Justice League Unlimited. When they fought Darkseid, you actually hear Superman say, he's like, what I have here is a rare opportunity to let loose because yeah. you can take it, can't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But usually he has to restrain himself because he's so dangerous if he doesn't. Right. And I would love to see what that looks like in Gotham. You know, I imagine it'd be like he's trying to be respectful but he's got all these freaking ants and bugs and crap crawling all over him and he's like get off get off get off and he just can't handle it because there's just so much crime and crap around him yep yeah i would love to see yeah it. i think that the villains could probably play a good game of psychological warfare against him yeah in a way that that they it doesn't work on batman yeah exactly exactly but yeah you're right i don't think anybody would tolerate batman and Gotham. <laughs> no it just wouldn't work <laughs> <laughs> just be like, get over yourself, man. <laughs> yeah. You could just imagine him having that rooftop interview with Lois Lane, you know, where he's talking like this. And she's yeah. like, do you always think <laughs> what? Yeah. We don't have to do what? this interview if you're going to talk like that. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> She'd record everything he said, too, and then like play it back to him later. Like, you said you were going to do this, and you didn't do it. So. <laughs> right. yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's imagine what it would be like to actually live in one of these cities. Um, I, I'll ask, where would you rather live? That kind of feels like an obvious question, but I'll go ahead and ask it. And what do you think your opinion would be of the city and its hero if you were actually a resident of the city? What do you think, Jay? I can't see choosing Gotham over I know, Metropolis. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know how you do that. You'd be like, yeah, I'll go fear for my life every day. Like, that sounds good. Um, I do joy. I enjoy the stories that take place place in Gotham more so than I enjoy the stories that take place in Metropolis. Yeah. Um, so I would appreciate Superman, but I also think 
that I really like the the stories where there's a good chunk of people who actually question Superman as well. Because you got to think like this guy is virtually all powerful, right? The only thing that we know that can stop this guy from doing anything is kryptonite and and magic. Yeah, and magic. And but that's not all <laughs> readily apparent or available, right? So if it's me, I'm sitting there going like, what are we going to do to add some checks and balances to this guy who can do whatever he wants to do, you know? Um, but if I, so I think I'm gonna be a little bit more skeptical of Superman. Whereas with Batman, given that level of corruption, I'm like, I'm all in dude. Like go take some criminals out because I've got to get to work today. You know, like, um, so it's very different. Um, now I, I, what's interesting about that is I, is when you put yourself in those scenarios, it's really interesting. Cause like, I would tell you right now that if there were people in my neighborhood who were nefarious, it would not be okay for me to go, you know, fight them, take a gun over there, do do whatever. Like, that, that would not be okay. That's like total vigilante. That's not good, right? But I, if you guys have ever seen the documentary Cartel Land, where it deals with uh, a city of people who are dealing with cartel violence and basically feel like the only way that we're going to do this is all of these people become Batman, right? Like yeah. they, they fight back against these cartels in very, very, very violent ways. There's a scene, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but there's a scene where this group of people decides not to kill one of the cartel people. And then the leader of that city comes to them and is like, you don't understand. This guy is going to leave, bring back five dudes and you will all be dead or your families will be dead. And so it's just like this, there's this sense that in Gotham, that's the kind of corruption and intensity that, that people are dealing with. And then how do you handle violence and how do you deal with that differently? Um, it, it, it changes the dynamic. If, if you all of a sudden had, Batman breaking people's arms and 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 messing people up in Metropolis, it'd be like this dude is way out of control. That guy just <laughs> needed to go to jail, right? Um, but it's a different scenario in Gotham where the corruption would probably mean that guy would be back on the streets or something, you know? So it's right. weird. Yeah, one thing that's sort of always uh, bugged me a little bit about Gotham is that it's a very, it's usually a very very white city, and um, occasionally other versions of Gotham will imagine a world where people of color tend to be in more you know poorer neighborhoods um and this the the optics are not you know as uh they're not as cut and dry you know mm. when you have a white batman beating up on <laughs> all these people of color they've used it i mean uh, again we're talking about white knight they use that a lot uh in that series um i feel like it's a little too convenient sometimes to make it, like like the show gotham you know is a very very white gotham um and i think that it uh it's a way for them to sidestep um interesting cl- uh, issues of race and class um mm. and it were i mean no people don't question it very much but um i always wonder how that would work and and how whether people would think a little differently about batman if that was the case and think a little bit more about the reasons behind the c- crime or the corruption or whatever's going on in the city um and uh but yeah i mean i totally agree in terms of of course you want to live in metropolis and you'd probably feel sorry for the people of gotham and uh you know figure well batman's probably the best they can do mm. yeah although you know obviously gotham's a way more interesting city to watch as a viewer or read about as a comic book reader yeah i think if i had to choose i would obviously choose metropolis yeah. <laughs> but 
Not necessarily just because Gotham is so more obviously dangerous to me. Also because it feels like Metropolis can grow. Metropolis can grow to the point where people grow beyond wanting to hurt each other and wanting to commit crimes and stuff like that. It feels like people in Gotham can do that. I meant Metropolis. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, you said Metropolis. You would hope they would in Gotham, but it seems like it's such a higher mountain to climb. Got it, got it, got it. You know what I mean? And that's what I want to live in. I would want to live in the city that has, I mean, no city will ever be completely without crime, but I would want to live in the one that for the most part has grown beyond it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I, it just, I don't know if Gotham can ever get there. It just seems like it's so <laughs> far gone. Yeah, it's pretty far gone. <laughs> well, I have one more question for all of us. Um, we've referenced a whole lot of different takes on Gotham and Metropolis, so I want to kind of dive into that a little bit more. And what are our favorite representations of each of these cities in film, television, video games, comics, whatever it may be? Eric, what are some of your favorites? Oh, it's funny you mentioned video games because you know obviously Arkham City is pretty amazing um, to to be able to that that is spectacular. Yeah. Um, but in terms of live action, I do I think that thing I love about The Dark Knight the most is that it was filmed in in real Chicago mm-hmm. and they didn't. Um, the Batman Begins Gotham is still has a little teeny touch of the of the Tim Burtony fairy tale Gotham. Um, and then I, 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 it bugged me so much of how much they they switched Dark Knight Rises to New York mostly, and to the point you even see the World Trade Center being built in the background in New Jersey, <laughs> oh, which is just really distracting. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I, I um, uh, yeah, I'd say Arkham City, and and then probably um, Dark Knight for live action. And uh, you know, even though Superman Returns was an incredibly boring movie with a lot of uh, serious problems with it. Um, the, I feel like the two really good things were, I mean, Kevin Spacey's great, um, but also I really like that version of Metropolis. I mean, it, it had that gleaming 1930s-inspired uh, New York-y type city, but they mixed it up enough so that there were no recognizable New York landmarks. Uh, and it just felt like it felt like a different city. Um, and uh, the Daily Planet, I thought, was beautiful. Um, I, I was quite fond of that the art direction or production design, whatever in that movie. I had the same exact one for Superman. I said, <laughs> cause uh, I mean, they just, it's almost like they took the Chrysler building in New York, yeah, which I yeah. think is one of the right. most beautiful buildings and made everything look like, yeah, it. it's like, <laughs> let's, everything, yeah. let's just do everything art deco. Like that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think it's gorgeous. So that's the same. I have the same one. Superman returns as the kind of the aesthetic of, of Metropolis. I I really like the gothic steampunk horror feel of Gotham. Mm-hmm. I like when they take it in that direction. Yeah. So it's almost always more the comics and the animated series. I realize, like you like you kind of referenced, um, Eric, that uh, Batman Begins had a touch of it, but like they lost more and more of it as they went. Yeah. Um, Tim Burton had some of it, but the problem with the problem I have with what Tim Burton did with Gotham is that it felt really dark and gothic. But it also felt like it did so in such a cheesy way. Uh, and it could mm-hmm. be the time period, but I think it's more filmmakers going down the process of figuring out how you make a good comic book movie. And that was one of the first mm-hmm. yeah. main ones, you know. And it's Batman, also a product of a lot of the way they achieve that is through models and miniatures and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And so if you're going to build that, you're going to try and make it look a little more fantastical, right? Exactly. So I, I would go right plus Tim Burton's style on top of yeah. that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to go with more of a comic 
comics inspired, you know, Batman sitting on top of the of the gargoyle. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. that kind of thing. Totally. I dig that. Yeah. I think right now I would have to say my favorite representation of Gotham has got to be from Sean Murphy in White Knight. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, you know, he drew a few um a few like future glimpses of like a future Gotham in some of the early Scott Snyder stuff in the new 52 realm, like mm-hmm. on side stories and stuff like that and the stuff that he does, like, I love it. You know, he draws these giant bat caves with these giant rotating machines that have every version of the Batmobile in it, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and in White Knight, you get to see the characters actually use those versions of the Batmobiles. <laughs> and so I love the stuff that he does. Um, I love the Dark Knight. I really like their take on Gotham and that. It feels the most like a lived-in city, mm-hmm. sort of. Other than any of the other Batman cities, I think. Um, oh, I have a question. Yeah. What are your least favorites? Least favorite Gotham, least favorite Metropolis? Oh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> um, least favorite Metropolis? Gosh. That's a harder one to come up with. It is. I, I, have, mean... two. I have two for both of them. My least favorite Batman is the 66 show, which was obviously filmed sure. in L.A., and it was the most un-Gotham-y looking Gotham you could ever <laughs> yeah, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> True. And uh, uh, I hated uh, the Metropolis of Lois and Clark because it was so oh, yeah, I haven't obviously watched the Warner it was the, it was so obviously the Warner Brothers like studio lot. It was the fakest looking city, and it drove me nuts how how incredibly fake and st- and studio lot that looked. Yeah, it, what's so interesting is how often the comics get it right, whereas then they try and interpret it in live action and just get it so wrong. <laughs> That's what's so so interesting. Like it's it's almost I don't know the comic books just capture it so much better. And obviously they have freedom that live action doesn't have. Right? Yeah. But. I thought I really like some of the stuff that you see in like the Snyder and Capullo run from on Batman mm-hmm. from New Fifty Two mm-hmm. also because you do get the dirt and the grime of the city, you know you get all of that. But they also spend a good amount of time showing Bruce Wayne sitting in parks, and uh, yeah. like kind of mm-hmm. this other more human side of Gotham. Interesting, hmm. which I really like. I thought about that. That's true. Yeah, you know, in in BVS they didn't really get into Gotham all that much. But I did think that they handled it like the One of my favorite Batman scenes on film is still the opening, the very first time we see Batman in BVS, mm-hmm. where he is basically like this demon creature up on the up on the ceiling, and the cop, yeah. and the cops are like, "Whoa, what is this thing?" You yeah. know, that embodies Gotham to me. There's there's human trafficking going on, but the those people. Those women are like, oh, actually, we'll stay in here, thanks, because there's a monster out <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, and then the cops are kind of like, what's going on? You know, they're not really quite sure. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was and one guy's like, I saw it. I saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was cool. I thought that was cool. But th- we didn't see Gotham as – we saw it kind of far away yeah. kind of perspectives. But you saw, like, the harbor. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah, I still love Honest Trailer is my favorite Honest Trailer they ever did. It was for BVS. It was so funny. <laughs> I gotta go watch that now. <laughs> I, so I probably good. have seen it, but I just yeah, 
I feel like I don't have that great of a memory. You guys keep saying like all this stuff that I'm like, I do not remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've watched it many times because it cracks me up so much. Because they just talk about the fact that like Zack Snyder clearly really wished that he could uh, just have done a Batman movie. Um, <laughs> but then they just, the way they describe his, his they call him his murdery fanfic version of Batman. <laughs> He's like part CrossFit bro. And they have Affleck with the tire. And they're like in part actual bat. And then they have him hanging at the corner. That's awesome. Oh, I gotta watch that. I should post that in the Facebook group too. That'd be good. Um, I'll go one other place too. Uh, if you go into animation, I think there's some great stuff, like you know mm-hmm. Tim Burton's gothic feel and stuff like that. In the first movie, it was cool. I think it gets it gets more and more exploited and perverted as you go throughout those those four films. But mm-hmm. I think it's actually most beautifully realized in the Batman animated series. Hmm. Yeah. And then likewise for Metropolis, I think, you know, the Superman animated series was shorter, didn't run as long, but I think there was a very cool version of Metropolis in that too, which has sort of been templatized, if that's a word, for templated for other animated versions of Superman since then. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. Yeah, I always I, I did love when they switched over to the red sky in the yeah. first version. Yeah, and the simpler costumes like the... The black and gray and the sharper edges mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And they brought Nightwing in, which always makes everything <laughs> yeah. better for me. <laughs> I feel, yeah, Night, like unless Nightwing is incredibly pissed off at Batman all the time, I feel like that never works. But once <laughs> once they have that <laughs> dynamic, I'm just like, you know, tell me more yeah. about this <laughs> destroy, destroyed relationship you have with your, your, your one, sort of son. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have. Was there anything else? burning in your guys' minds about Gotham and Metropolis that we haven't covered? I don't think so. We covered a lot, man. We covered a lot of ground. You know, it's funny. I always think, um, I mean, if you had asked me, I, I probably would have said the same thing at any year, at any point, like, well, I don't know what else they could do with Gotham or Metropolis. I probably would have said that 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and it's, it kind of amazes me how they they keep becoming sources for reinvention I, I i still would love a much better film as most most people would i think everyone's waiting for the for the, that great superman film that just hasn't been made yeah. yet in the last 40 years but um although no superman 2 is great um but anyway uh 35 years um but um yeah it's uh yeah i'm sure it'll happen well i think I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I think White Knight definitely reinvented Gotham in a way that I've never thought of before. Mm. Hmm. And I mean, I guess I guess maybe it's more so the dynamic between the characters, like a new look at the Joker and stuff like that. But hmm. just the whole aesthetic that Sean Murphy created in that comic, I love. You know, very early in the podcast, Eric, you mentioned The Wire. And I think that mm-hmm. that would be... I know that they've done a little bit of this in the comics. And I haven't read a lot of it, but... One of the things I loved about The Wire is that season one really focused on law enforcement. And then mm-hmm. season two uh, was season two was either the, the docs. docs, and then we had season three was the journalists, basically, right? Yeah, journalists and politicians. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I would love to see. No, no, yeah, sorry, no. Uh, politicians, four was the schools, five was the journalists. Oh, was it that many seasons? Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't even remember now. Um, yeah, so yeah. I love the fact that that show was willing to take. That in other words, what they said was they said our setting is so compelling, but you won't get a full perspective of what's going on here until we show you the setting from multiple angles and from multiple storylines and from multiple plot lines. 
And I think that that would be something that would be really cool to do both in Gotham and Metropolis is to see it from all. Because when you guys talked about like seeing a uh, what is what does it look like in Gotham? To, the, what are the journalists doing? You know, like right. The Gotham is a Gazette, I think, or something like yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. That, like I would yeah. love a version like a wire type version of like a somebody like Lois Lane has to team up with a reporter at the Gotham, I think. I think it's Gazette, but whatever it is, um, that would be so. Yeah, that would be fascinating to do. It'd be that. awesome. Well, we used to have Vicky Vale, right? That was sort of Gotham's answer to Lois Lane. Yeah, but that's no one true. really uses her sort anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'd uh, be fun though. Yeah. It'd be fun. Like, it'd be fun to see the cities from different different perspectives. I guess. Yeah, they use her for for exposition all the time. What do you think of the Gotham TV show, Eric? Uh... I it is it is honestly a guilty pleasure for me. Um, it, it it's sort of I would say the same thing about True Blood as I would about Gotham the TV show. I will never argue it's a good show, but it is one of the most entertaining shows I've ever seen. <laughs> it is so much freaking fun, um, but it drives me up the wall how like the plot holes are so gigantic. The way that they they love to have the villains fight each other and then team up and then fight each other to the point where they there's some script continuity person that has to remind them to a certain line of like wait a second weren't we trying to kill each other like seven episodes why yes i've had a change of heart <laughs> um it's so bonkers uh it's just so ridiculously over the top um and yet i freaking love it it's so much fun that's good i'm i'm definitely in the other camp i've had a really hard time getting into it but i'm glad somebody loved yeah it. <laughs> there's a lot of people that love it yeah but yeah. I, again, I will not defend it as a good show. Like True Blood was not a good show, but God was it entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about Gotham. All right. Well, I think we've covered just about everything there is to talk about Gotham yeah. and Metropolis. Thanks for joining us, Eric. And if you want to hear more from Eric and from us talking about some more cities, then check out our aftercast because we're going to go into some more cities from geekdom. Yeah, this could be, yeah, it's actually, I'm thinking, I'm always looking for ideas for my own podcast. Do you want to tell the people just where they can find more information from you? Yeah, sure. So uh, my podcast website is imaginaryworldspodcast.org, uh, um, but I'm on all the, wherever you download your podcasts, you can find it. I've got probably about 105 episodes now. So you can always, I mean, I always say to people, some people started the first episode, which is called is about origin stories, about superhero origin stories, but then also just personal origin stories. And then they just binge through, which I think is kind of amazing. But you can also, if you want to just jump into, I did a Star Wars miniseries, a Harry Potter miniseries, a Doctor Who miniseries. So those are really good places to to jump in and just get a feel for what the show is like. Yeah, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I, I, I just found it kind of on a whim, just searching for more geek podcasts that I want to listen to. And uh, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it consistently. It's really been really thanks. I've really enjoyed the uh, Dungeons and Dragons stuff you did recently too. That stuff was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's uh, unfortunately my my group like the week after that um, episode came out, my DM got a job that's now she's traveling up and down the East Coast. So our whole world's on hold, and I'm just like watching her Instagram feed. I'm like, oh, she's in Virginia. She's not coming back anytime <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. soon. <laughs> yeah. What happens next in this game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Like, it's, yeah, this whole world is on hold right now. It's <laughs> hilarious. That is it for today's show. Special thanks to Eric Malinsky for joining us today. Remember to go check out the Imaginary Worlds podcast. You can find him at imaginaryworldspodcast.org. 
and go check out what he's doing. That is another great podcast that we highly recommend. And coming up on next week's show on the Story Geeks podcast, we're going to dig deeper into Superman the movie. So don't miss out on that. Be sure you subscribe. Yeah, and head over to thestorygeeks.com where you can find our aftercast. Tonight's aftercast is, or today's aftercast, depending on where you listen to the show. Today, this morning, <laughs> tonight, whenever. We are actually diving into some more uh, cities, locations that we have seen in both geek and not some even non-geek movies. And also you can find all the content from Ashley Paul's Anthony Holder all over at thestorygeeks.com. All supporters of The Story Geeks gain access to today's aftercast and all past and future aftercasts, so be sure and check that out. Head on over to thestorygeeks.com for more information on that and all of the other premium content that we offer. Yeah, and if you enjoyed today's show or any of The Story Geeks podcasts, please share our show with a geek friend. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. And always seek the truth. <laughs>